Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Here you go, everybody. Thanks so much for listening around the country and around the world. We have a big hour. Dan Hoffman standing by. You know, he's former CIA station chief in Moscow, Iraq, Pakistan, South Asia, Europe, everywhere, and a Fox News contributor. We'll go inside politics with Kaylee McGee White, senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum. Got some polls to go over that are good news for President Trump, who's going to be in court today on that whole Stormy Daniels situation to find out if, in fact, there's going to be a court date. Will they, in fact, be first? He wanted to be there. He's got two separate court events, but he's choosing this one. Uh, so it's going to be a really busy day. The president's got a light schedule again. I wonder why. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. But what I think is really important is that wages have gone up along with prices. So people are better off than they were pre-pandemic. I don't get it. Is the economy rolling like Janet Yellen thinks or about to collapse like Fred Smith and Jamie Dimon worry about our debt? We are getting ominous signs from those in the know that we're being told exactly the opposite from what is going on by the party in charge. Number two. Voters are really smart. They see through spin and they want the crisis at the border fixed. And they know that there was a proposal to get that fixed, worked on for months in the Senate, led by a Republican, and that Speaker Johnson and House Republicans have turned their backs on that to keep the issue alive. Uh, Willie Geis weighing in from uh, NBC. 2024 special election leaves Dems clues to success. And it's their own greatest failure. The border, the politics and policies of the collapsed southern border as the court uh, country currently is overwhelmed with illegals, and now we learned lethal gangs. Number one. Not only this would enable them to target satellites and communications and GPS capabilities, but it also would be able to potentially be an EMP that could target the entire U.S. grid, and this would be a new mm -hmm. capability that we have effectively uh, no defense against. Uh, and that is a Space, for uh, Space Force officer weighing in on this new Russian threat that is not new to him. And we're talking about uh, we're talking about uh, the Russians, national security emergency emerging seemingly out of nowhere as Mark Turner, Mike Turner, who is fed up with the lack of action of this administration, decides to go forward with the top secret intel about Russia nukes and blowing up our satellites in the sky. Is this true? Why are we learning about it now? 
Dan Hoffman made a living trying to uncover and um, and uh, reveal puzzles. This is one of them. Dan Hoffman, welcome back. Thanks a lot for having me on the program. So I'm just wondering, why do you think we find out from Chairman Turner about this nuclear operation possibly in space? And why was it important for him to let every member of the House in on it? Yeah, I think the timing is really interesting because the Congress has been briefed on this some time ago. Our allies reportedly were briefed as well. But he just returned from his third trip to Ukraine. He saw Ukrainians uh, on the front lines defending their homeland. And I think he knows that we're at an inflection point in our own country where if we don't give Ukraine the $60 billion worth of of aid that they need, uh, then they will be significantly challenged uh, in their efforts to stave off that barbaric Russian invasion. So you think it's about the Ukraine-Russia war? I do. I think that uh, that Chairman Turner is very, uh, very deftly trying to frame the dialogue, frame the debate right now as one where we are opposing Vladimir Putin's KGB dictatorship. And Ukraine is on the front, front lines fighting on, on our behalf. Uh, there are no American soldiers in that war. It's, it's Ukraine's existential war for their survival, but it's also our fight. And for those who say Ukraine's not winning, yeah, actually, they are winning. It just, look, the, the, the Russia was supposed to take over Kiev in a matter of days. Every day that, that Ukraine is a sovereign nation, they're winning. Uh, they, they've caused, they've, they've result, the war resulted in over 300,000 Russian casualties uh, and, and destroyed the Russian army's capability. Ukraine is operating their port in Odessa at 80% plus uh, 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 to the maximum threshold of getting their goods out of their country. Um, they are they are destroying Russian uh, naval uh, aircraft uh, naval uh, vessels in the Black Sea. Uh, that's winning, um, and you know we should recognize that for, for what it is, and not parrot Vladimir Putin's propaganda that you know that, that Russia can carry on indefinitely, and that they're actually winning the war when they're not. Right, um, and they did, did have some type of proposal to end the war where they keep what they got. That's not going to be acceptable. And by the way, there's there's already plans. Did you hear? I'm, I know you know this more before I ever get to it, but the Russians are uh, are already trying to uh, already trying to build up, sends some of their forces over to fin- the border. Uh, they border with Finland. They're already right. starting to make some moves on Moldova, and they're trying to just calcify what they've already taken from Georgia. Yeah, and that's another part of this 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 war. You know, the Ukraine's defense of their homeland awakened NATO from their post-Cold War slumber. And now NATO members are upping their uh, defense spending to reach or exceed that 2% of GDP. Estonia is spending over 3% already. Uh, Finland is now a NATO member. That's also winning for us, for the United States, for our national security. I think the Russians are putting troops on their border. It's as much a domestic push as anything else for Vladimir Putin. He wants to show uh, his own citizens, especially in light of the fact that he has to face elections in a few weeks, that you know Russia's major conflict is with the West, that Russia's under siege, and only he can defend the besieged fortress that is Russia, which is just a bunch of propaganda, disinformation. But that's what the KGB guy in the Kremlin does. So in the country you told me today on television about 20 minutes ago, the country that has to roll out tanks from the museum in the World War II, they've gotten reinforced from North Korea now, and they've gotten from ugly countries like Iran, uh, ugly not the people but the government, from forming this unholy alliance. 
But for the most part, they've looked so inept fighting. They do have a sophisticated nuclear program that you think legitimately has the capabilities of blowing our satellites out of the sky? If if what we're hearing is true, then they would have the capability, and they have the capability of putting a nuclear weapon in space, then that will put at risk our civilian communications, military command and control, our satellites, and other things. This is just Vladimir Putin trying to, to gain leverage in his relationship with the West. And look, let's be clear. What scares Vladimir Putin isn't NATO. It's not our military might, although we deter Putin to some extent. It's democracy, freedom, liberty, all of those things that that if they existed in Russia would mean that Vladimir Putin would be at the very least behind bars, if not worse for him. That's why he launched an attack on Ukraine, because he could never allow Ukraine to achieve uh, what Russians want, which is a democracy linked to, with the West, both economically and militarily. That's why he launched that war. So Nicholas Shalon is somebody who is a uh, former Space Force software engineer. And this is what he said about what the Russians are capable of doing, cut six. It's not new to us, but I think it's uh, pretty uh, concerning that uh, Russia will be considering violating the Outer Space uh, Treaty. Not only this would enable them to target satellites and communications and GPS capabilities, but it also, more importantly, would be able to potentially be an EMP that could target the entire U.S. grid and all electronics. Uh, so this is way beyond space, and this would be a new mm. capability that we have effectively uh, no defense against. And he went on to say that the Air Force is standing in the way of the Space Force and technological uh, um, advances because they want to keep the programs they have in place. That's inexcusable. It is inexcusable, and it's risen to the level, I think, as Chairman Turner rightly notes, of U.S. citizens being interested and concerned about the impact of this Russian uh, threat, which would give them the really the capability to extort us. I mean, that's why Kim Jong-un is building out a ballistic missile program that would target the homeland here in the United States because he wants to extort us and make the price of assisting, assisting South Korea in the event of a war too high that we would not wish to pay it. And, and that's what Vladimir Putin wants uh, with this new capability. And it's why uh, Russia represents such a significant threat to us today. As you correctly pointed out, this, is, this century's axis of tyranny, Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran, all allied together. And Russia's on their knees uh, begging China to import their hydrocarbons and Iran for drones, North Korea for artillery. And they're building out their, their military capabilities. That's their asymmetric uh, warfare. They've got a GDP the size of Italy, but no disrespect to the Italians. But they do have this, this military throw weight that they seek to use to their advantage. So they're also conducting operations against Moldova. They say very similar to those the Kremlin did before an invasion of Ukraine in 2014 and last year in 2022 before their invasion. So they go out and they pretend as if there's Russian allies being held uh, and need some liberation like they did in Ukraine. And they say, we're just giving these separatists a chance at freedom. And Moldova, they're doing the same thing. We know they made up some story in Georgia. And there's also Estonian intelligence stated the Russian military's ongoing restructuring and expansion of efforts to intensify military posturing against a new NATO nation called Finland. Now, Finland can actually fight. Uh, so can Sweden. They're out well armed. They're about to get in, too. So I don't know how many forces they have to spread out against a border that's not a threat to them, but it's interesting. Yeah, it is. And look, their their pattern is 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 similar in each case. And by the way, this is a page out of out of Hitler's Nazi playbook where that's why, you know, the, the Nazis invaded 
uh, Czechoslovakia and took Sudetenland because they were ostensibly protect, protecting ethnic Germans. That's what Putin is doing. How grossly hypocritical uh, for a country that celebrates their uh, stalwart defense against the Nazi invasion. Uh, but Russia starts with, with disinformation and propaganda, and they seek to build a fifth column uh, in, in those countries. They seek to, to invade or control. And that's what we saw in, in, in Georgia. It's what we've seen in, in Ukraine, and we're seeing it in, in the Baltic states as well, where Russia is mounting uh, very sophisticated propaganda disinformation campaigns. For sure, uh, Moldova's in the crosshairs, and, uh, and that's got to be of grave concern to Europe. Lastly, Dan Hoffman, China. We're seeing so many Chinese nationals coming through our southern border. Uh, they say 20,000 this fiscal year. 200 came through San Diego on, um, on Tuesday. And they, they, evident, they have roller bags. They look like they just got out of uh, baggage claim. These aren't these people that we're usually seeing coming up here with nothing but the shirt on their back. What are they up to? Well, I don't know that we know the answer to that question. We could speculate, but I don't think we have the, the personnel down at, at the southern border to track who's coming. And some of these Chinese, for all we know, they could be intelligence officers. They could just be fleeing uh, communist China. That would be understandable as well. I will just tell you as a, tell you, as a concerned citizen, uh, you know, the House is split with Democrats and Republicans. And if either side tries to govern as if they have a massive majority – we're going to fail. You, you just can't go for maximalist, uh, maximalist proposals on, on the border or on anything else. Speaker Johnson's, I think, got to come up with a deal, uh, and it might not be 100 percent satisfactory to, to his own caucus, but we've got to do something. Uh, that's a, a major failure on Capitol Hill. We pay our elected officials, my goodness, to solve our problems, and they're not doing a real good job of it right now. Hundred uh, percent, I agree with you. Uh, I, we, I was in contact with Langford. It's not the perfect bill, but they could have gone in and tried to make it more perfect. They have they actually well, I mean, have let's leverage. Let's not let the the perfect be the enemy of the good. My goodness, you know, let, let's do something. And, and yes, we want to do more, but you know, when you've got a majority of two in the House of Representatives, you can't push for your most maximalist proposal. Understand, we'd like to do more. Okay, well, there's you know, 200 plus Democrats who don't necessarily agree with you. So let's just get what we can get done. And I would argue as a citizen, that's good politics. The American people want to see uh, both parties coming together to solve our problems. You'll get credit for that. You know, it's a, it's a good thing. Uh, I just wish they'd, they'd do better at it. Honestly. Right. And President Trump is the one who did that. He said, I don't want any deal done for a guy that broke the border. I don't want him getting any credit for fixing it. Uh, thanks, Daniel Hoffman. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, fascinating. one 866 You never know what's going to happen in the news by definition. Got it. But that yesterday, that Russian news that broke yesterday afternoon, stunning. Also, President Trump is now in a Manhattan courtroom. We're about to find out the date, perhaps, of when the Alvin Bragg case gets started, the first criminal trial, and there'll be three others, perhaps. It's going to be a huge winter, spring and fall, uh, with summer and fall, as we had said for November 5th. Don't miss a minute of this show because we have it all. When we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 7669 You want to write me, Just click on comments. I'll read them out loud. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. You've had a string of states where Republicans have lost who should have been in a position to win, who have lost to a Democrat. And that is the hope that the White House has. They say, look, when it actually comes to people voting, forget the polls, but look at how people vote. People are voting for Democrats, particularly since Dobbs. Throw in an economy that seems to be improving and consumer sentiments that seem to be getting more confident. And that's why the White House is thinking that it's in a stronger position, certainly, than it seemed to be thinking. I think that the panic that that New York Times poll caused last October has receded somewhat. There's a, there is more confidence in the White House at the moment. Uh, we'll see, uh, because there are no polls are indicating that KDK of MSNBC is right. Uh, he is trailing Donald Trump in Michigan now by two, by in North Carolina by five. He has lost ground uh, in, let me see, he has lost ground, I had it right here, with no, no, in Michigan, but he's lost ground on with certain areas of the electorate. Okay. Well, he's he's lost ground with a college uh, co- uh, college people with college degrees. He's lost ground with women. He's lost ground with African Americans. He went from eighty two percent to now sixty eight percent. Oh, just about everywhere. Now the question is, when Donald Trump gets out there, does he have a better message? So far, I think he does have a better message. What she's referring to is the special election that Tom Swasey won over uh, Mazzy Pillup in New York. And he, she, he won 54 to 47. The polls show it was a four-point race. And you had early voting and terrible weather. Having said that, what, what Swasey did is go against the administration and say, I am for fixing the border. That's something Democrats can learn from. You had to make sure they say, I have nothing to do with Joe Biden. I don't agree with any of his policies. I don't want to defund ICE. I want to give more money to ICE. That is everything that Democratic parties have been against and refused to talk about it. When the Republicans go down to, the, to, the, to do anything at the border, you almost get outside Henry Cuellar. You get nobody making that trip. But they have changed. The problem is they have no credibility. Give, for example, Senator Mark Kelly of Arizona. Every time he's up for election, he talks about the need for border enforcement, how the president's broken the border. And then he just, after he wins election, re-election, he disappears. I am sure Tom Swazi and everybody else are going to disappear. Although he's got to go win elections again in four or five months. They might put up somebody different. Roger, listen, WHUB. Hey, Roger. Hey, how you doing? Over in Tennessee. Hey, if the adults are back in the White House... After three years of leaving a wide-open border, why do you even have to bother with the Senate or the House when you could do it yourself right now if you're the adult? You know, what they're also doing is uh, they're emptying ice beds, just letting people out so they have more room for, uh, for their other future illegal immigrants, like the 20,000 that came today. 
Um, also, uh, they could do a lot on executive action because they already did a lot to undo what, John, what Donald Trump did executive action. By the way, the president of the United, former president of the United States speaking right now before the Alvin Bragg case. He has got a huge crowd listening to him. He's got uh, two networks carrying him. And therefore, he is able to get his point across until somebody like Jake Tapper decides, I don't want to benefit him, and they'll pull out of it. So we'll give you the latest on the president's court cases. He, he is actually in court in two separate places. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The contrast is, is crazy. Trump can walk up to a gaggle of reporters completely, you know, not knowing yeah. what they're going to ask him, answer questions for hours, hours on end. And Biden totally. can't stand in front of a teleprompter and read the teleprompter without, you know, looking horrible just in, in a matter of minutes. They just try to whisk him out, whisk yeah. him back. So, I mean, it's crazy. The, 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 uh, the contrast between these two people, between President Trump and, and Biden, could not be uh, more obvious in the entire American people. I, everyone in this country, everyone in the world sees yeah. This contrast. And that is Dr. Ronnie Jackson, admiral in the military, great doctor for Bush, Obama, and Trump. And now all of a sudden they want to make him a partisan. Look, he is a partisan. He's a Republican. He's way to the right, a big time conservative. But now they want to have, give him no respect as a medical doctor when, uh, on the record, the Obamas and Bushes consider him a personal friend, or at least in the Obama case, you did used to consider him a personal friend. Let me give you an idea of what's happening right now in two separate courtrooms in downtown New York City. The Alvin Bragg case is queued up. A judge will decide if when that trial starts. Not many people thought this would be first. Many people thought it might even go away. The word is bootstrap. They bootstrap a, a, local, a, a local case and make it a federal case. Uh, there's not a lot of substance there. They're saying that he might have paid off Stormy Daniels or somebody else or Michael Cohen did under the president's direction in order to keep this story out while he was running for president, which he won. And the other side is Georgia. They're saying that he tried to overturn an election by uh, berating people into changing their votes or finding votes and things caught on camera. The problem is this now is a hearing for the credibility of the D.A. bringing the case, uh, Fannie Willis. Why? Because she is, seems to have given her boyfriend that she admits now, Nathan Wade, the position of lead prosecutor, even though he has no experience doing it, paid him a huge salary, and they seem to all go on vacation together. So should she even be part of the case? Should the case actually exist at all? Let's, uh, we'll discuss that throughout the morning. Uh, Kaylee McGee-White joins us right now. Uh, Kaylee is uh, an esteemed senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum uh, and has a great column out now talking about the Democratic Party doesn't care about Biden. It only cares about power. Kaylee, welcome back. Thank you for having me. And Kaylee, by the way, this this comes on revelations. You know, we obviously see the failings of the president. I'm listening to the Daily yesterday, the New York Times podcast. And even Peter Baker, the New York Times, says he's talked to people who know him and can't believe how much he's aged in office and how much he's different than he was. So that's the New York Times. And then we get the Robert Hur report. What about this revelation that it was President Biden that brought up his son, uh, Bo, and his death? It wasn't Robert Hur and his staff 
And now he's acting so defiant and saying, how dare he bring up the date of the death of my son? Right. Well, I find it deeply ironic that Biden can't remember the conversation that he had with Robert Hur, who exposed his failing memory and his lack of mental acuity. So that checks out. Uh, but I mean, what Robert Hur's report has done is it has put into legal writing what many, like you said, and even the Democratic establishment have known for a long time, which is that Biden is not mentally fit to serve out even the rest of this year let alone another four. And I know that we talk about his age a lot. This isn't necessarily an age problem. You you were comparing Trump and Biden earlier. They're pretty close to in age. And yet the difference between these two men and the way that they're able to respond to the daily tasks of the job is completely different. It is clear that Biden's mental fitness is not what it should be. And yet for him to have that press conference on Thursday and come out defiantly attacking reporters for daring to ask questions about this, it shows that he's not ready to relinquish his grip on power. And do you think that the people around him like the position they're in right now and know that if he goes, they go, and that's why he stays? I think I think to a certain extent, yes. But I, I think also that whoever is in the Biden White House right now uh, is probably going to remain in the next administration. It's called the swamp for a reason. It's an establishment. Many of the people who are in the Biden White House were in the Obama White House, for example. So, you know, you sort of get these holdovers. And I think that I would even suggest that what's happening is you have even people in the White House and in the administration who are beginning to turn on Biden. And again, I go back to this press conference last Thursday as an example. Joe Biden doesn't do anything without approval from his handlers. He never stays up past 8 p.m. He never takes unvetted questions from the press. And yet last, last Thursday, they seemed more than willing to put him in front of the cameras when it was clear that he was going to make a disaster out of it. Um, I think that was intentional. I think that they are trying to shove him aside and they're allowing him to implode on his own and make their job easier. So the Justice Department, he's actually mad at Merrick Garland reportedly for letting Robert Hur go ungoverned and not reining him in. When he went out of his way to say, I want the Department of Justice separate from the White House, you're not my attorney, unlike well, where William Barr, he claims, was for Donald Trump. That's kind of blown up, hasn't it? It has. And, you know, this is, uh, you know, one of multiple incidents in which Biden has pressured Merrick Garland to use the Justice Department's power to advance his own agenda. There was a report just a couple weeks ago that Biden was frustrated with Merrick Garland for not prosecuting Trump even more or for getting the cases expedited against Trump. So he is clearly leveraging his own position to put pressure on Garland to act as his steward is what I, I think they believe. I believe they called Bill Barr under the Trump administration. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's hypocritical, hypocritical for Biden to criticize Trump for doing what he, exactly what he's doing now. So, I mean, people always love to say that Barack Obama is really pulling the strings. That's why he's still in Washington. We know that he mysteriously was heading up AI research in that mission. Do you think he's doing more? Have you heard reports for sure that he is, uh, he is the one pulling the strings for the White House? Well, I mean, we, we can't be sure how personally invested he is in the White House, but just look at the policies, Brian. These are the exact same policies that were put into place during the Obama administration. Let's look at Iran, for example. Biden has essentially, you know, resurrected the Iran nuclear deal. He has failed to enforce sanction against Iran, allowing Iran to make billions 
um, off of its oil industry as a result, the same exact policies as in the Obama administration. And the green energy policies are another example of this. Obama tried to put into place this Clean Power Act that was eventually killed by Congress. Biden is once again trying to re-implement that exact same rule. So what we're seeing now is the exact same policies as in the Obama administration, but they're being enforced much more aggressively um, by Biden's agencies than even they were during the Obama administration. I I want you to, I mean, we, we see what's going on here. We understand that his schedule is almost wide open, and the vice president's got even a more wide open schedule. It leads one to wonder, who is actually running things? That's what Dr. Admiral Congressman Ronnie Jackson brought up last night, cut nine. It begs the question of who's making these decisions. I think the the whole world, and and I I mean the world, not just this country, uh, realizes at this particular point that he's not calling the shots. He's not making the decisions. And so I think that, you know, the world is in chaos right now. We've got a lot of stuff going on. We need somebody who's attuned to what's happening, who's read into everything that's going on, and who can make these decisions and multitask. And this guy obviously cannot do this. So it's very concerning. It's a national security issue for us right now. We're going to get in trouble uh, here in the near future. We've got all kinds of stuff going on. So that's a that's a legitimate question. But your old premise is doesn't matter. The people in power will keep power and don't underestimate the Democrats uh, establishment willing to go to uh, their commitment to maintaining this power. What else can we expect? More attacks on Trump? Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I you know, my argument here is that Joe Biden is just a figurehead. Um, The person at the top of the Democratic ticket only matters insofar as they're going to help the Democrats win. And you see this even with Biden's own reluctance to fire any of his cabinet or administration officials who have blatantly failed at their job. You know, you think back to Lloyd Austin going AWOL for weeks and not even informing his commander in chief that he had to undergo an immediate hospitalization and Biden refused to fire him. You think about Jake Sullivan mismanaging multiple foreign national crises at this point, um, including going on record before the Hamas attack in Israel, claiming that the Biden administration has achieved record-breaking Middle Eastern peace. He's been wrong on just about everything. Biden has refused to fire him. And it's because Biden is completely dependent on these people. He's not actually the one running things. Um, Maybe it's them. Maybe it's other people who are above them. I'm not quite sure. But the the fact is that the administration is going to keep going, whether Joe Biden is aware of who he is or where he is on a daily basis. And if he becomes a liability to their ability to do that, then they will get rid of him. I will see see what's going to happen right now. We're literally looking at a split screen of president's got two trials in Georgia without him there. They are deciding if Fannie Willis is going to go forward. We just had one of the uh, I think his name is Mike Roman, one of the 17 defendants. uh, By the way, Nathan Wade, the lead prosecuting attorney, has just left. He is the boyfriend of Fannie Willis. They were having an illicit affair that no one knew about. Not illegal. No one knew about it. But he got a job with no experience. And now that's been the uh, now joining the suit is Donald Trump, one of the 17 people charged in this racketeering of trying to, to overturn an election. And they're trying to say is the people in charge of this is pure politics and actually uh cavorting with the White House to come up with some type of legal strategy. And why do we know that? Because Nathan Wade, the lead special prosecutor, lead attorney in this, actually invoiced for the meeting. So we know they're coordinating, the state case is coordinating with the White House, who just happens to have a president going against the former president for four more years for re-election. This is a case that matters. 
It absolutely does, and it's corrupt through and through. And it's funny to watch it implode, really, because of Fannie Willis's own incompetence in this matter. And this just goes to show you, this is what happens when you get political prosecutors in office whose only goal is to make a name for themselves within Democratic circles. Fannie Willis only brought this case, the racketeering charges of which are completely absurd and would not hold up in any other court. And she only brought this because she wanted to make a name for herself going after Trump and being the one to take him down. Alvin Bragg is doing the exact same thing up in New York. You have these highly partisan officials who are willing to abuse their own positions to take down Trump. So it shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us um, that they're doing just that, that she appointed Nathan Wade her, you know, paramour at the time who had no experience prosecuting a single felony in the state of Georgia um, to take on this case. Kaylee uh, McKee White is with us. Kaylee, Jonathan Turley was just on and he was on the channel and he said this split screen of both these trials was supposed to take down Trump. It's exactly what's helping him. I don't know what's going to happen in the general when he does eventually get the nomination, when they actually go with the trial and he's got to sit there and more evidence comes out. But right now it is clearly helping him, and I think everyone's surprised. Do you feel differently? I'm not that surprised. I think that Trump's main argument has always been that the establishment is out to get him. And every single time they file more charges against him, he just proves that point once again. And I think that, you know, I would agree that there's still a lot that we don't know about how the voters will respond um, to the charges moving forward. I've seen a couple of polls that show, you know, 55 percent of independent voters will say they won't vote for Trump if he's convicted. Again, you know, I guess we'll see how that ends up shaking out. But there is no doubt that this only strengthens Trump's argument that they're out to get him and that the voters should respond in turn by, um, you know, returning him to office and helping him get them out of office. So, Kaylee, I don't know if you've noticed, as the president looks to KO uh, Nikki Haley in South South Carolina, if not after Super Tuesday, people wondering why she's going full Chris Christie now, insulting him personally, saying he's too old, saying he's incompetent. All the things that Chris Christie was saying, she has decided to go into now. And she's saying that he can't win. All right. Now, people say she's blowing herself up. However, if if Trump loses, she could look uh, like a soothsayer and be the front runner next up. What do you think about this? I think that Nikki Haley is trying to be the last man standing. So she's taking the bet that Trump is going to be convicted in one of these cases and that he's going to be prevented from either campaigning or from even running in the general. She's also taking the bet that Biden is going to either be sidelined by the Democratic Party or that voters will continue to reject him, even even with Trump off the ballot. So that's what her bet is. She knows that she's not going to win the primary nomination. She's not even going to win her own home state of South Carolina. But she wants to be the last man standing and the backup candidate in case of the worst case scenario. Um, Whether that works or not, I don't think that it does. I think that she's ruined her standing in the Republican Party, like you said, taking this sort of a Chris Christie line of attack on Trump. It, It has never sat well with Republican primary voters. Fascinating time. Uh, and you know what? So much, Kaylee, is so unprecedented. So you can't say, well, this reminds me of 68, 72, 78. Last time, nothing that is going on right now seems precedented, and it isn't. Kaylee McGee-White, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you uh, back in studio soon. 
Yes, thank you. All right. Uh, listen, we come back. I'll take your calls, and we'll give you an idea what's happening in court because Nathan Wade, one of the people in the eye of the storm here, evidently has a relationship with Fannie Willis, left. I don't know if he had a schedule. He had to use the bathroom, but he just, to me, dramatically left the courtroom. We're trying to make sense of it. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The reason I don't want to call Mr. Bradley first is for hearsay objections, quite frankly. Um, And, you know, normally we don't have to disclose how we're going to present evidence. Um, I'm okay doing that here. But based on the rules of evidence, hearsay, and privilege issues, what makes the most sense, and we've spent a lot of time thinking about this, which makes the most sense is for us to have Ms. Yearty testify. And if you want me to proffer what I anticipate, she's going to say, I talked to her last night. She's going to say that there was a personal relationship that began in October of 2019. She's going to testify to that. And she has personal direct knowledge of that. It's not hearsay and it's not privileged. She's going to take the stand. She's terrified, but she's going to take the stand and tell the truth. And then I plan on calling Mr. Wade, because at that point I can overcome their motion to quash and bring Mr. Wade, bring him to come. Then I can go through privilege issues with him, and then I can have Mr. Bradley testify. And we won't have to have an objection to every single question I ask Mr. Bradley, an objection to hearsay, an objection to privilege. So that's how I plan on presenting the evidence, because it makes the most sense. Wow. So that's Ashley Merton, who is representing, uh, I think it's Mike Roman. Uh, he is one of the 17 defendants, 18 defendants, along with the former president of the United States in this uh, Georgia Fulton County case. So that is his her lawyer said, I got a problem with this case because the attorney general is compromised. And I'm talking about Fannie Willis. And she's having a relationship with um, this guy, Wade, Nathan Wade. So why is Nathan Wade important? Nathan Wade's the lead prosecutor. Why is that important? He's not qualified by all reports. He's got mostly car crashes, does car accidents and divorces. So that she prop up her uh, her lover in order to lead this case. And why is he getting paid so much more than everybody else on the case? Why is she flying to two cruises to various uh, vacations with the money that she allocated for him, that state taxpayer funds, without disclosing her relationships happening, perhaps showing this is all political. And this might reveal what a farce the case is. It might at least, at the very least, force her off the case. And you just heard what, what the lawyer said, what Ashley just said. I'd like to talk to his ex-wife. And the ex-wife will testify that this relationship started in 2019, not after the case started. They say it happened right after the divorce was finalized or right around there before the case. This happened before that. And out of nowhere, I don't know if it's related. I don't know if he had a previous court appearance. Sometimes judges, excuse me, uh, lawyers do that. But I just watched him and we took a shot of the empty chair. Uh, Wade gets up and leaves. You talk about messy. She just laid out exactly how ugly this is about to get. They want to get this done before Trump is actually has a chance to run for president. Until he gets the nomination, gets through November. They want to stop him in the state. And they're coordinating, because you won't answer the question, are you coordinating with Jack Smith? And they are coordinating because the lead prosecutor met with the White House Justice Department, the White House Counsel. This is all coordination. And that's what Trump's been trying to say all along. Don't move. 
atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, here we go, everybody. Uh, right in downtown Manhattan, where I'm located, I guess a few blocks from us, uh, we have just found out the first Trump trial will be March 25th. That is the ridiculous one with Alvin Bragg. He's going to say that uh, Stormy Daniels uh, being getting paid or whatever she did or didn't do, that affected the 2016 election. All right, good luck with that. That first trial will come out. A lot of people, like James Carville and company, don't think that that was a good case to bring out, period. Let alone a lot of experts never thought it was, should be see the light of day, but it'll be first. Everything else seems to be in a delay. Meanwhile, in Georgia right now, we're trying to establish what is going on. Uh, Scott McAfee's court with um, Mike Roman is one of 18 people on trial, along with the former president of the United States, accused of accused of trying to overthrow an election. Got it? Remember, they all got mugshotted. Well, it turns out that Fannie Willis is having an affair with Nathan Wade. Why does that matter? Nathan Wade is the lead prosecutor. Why does that matter? He's got no experience with the money he got more than the other prosecutors. They go on fancy vacations. Is that the best use of taxpayer money? You're talking about getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, at which time it starts to be revealed that he's coordinating with the Department of Justice, uh, the justice officials in the White House. So now we're watching the embarrassment of Nathan Wade, where it comes out where this guy started his affair that's now admitted with uh, Fannie Willis. And while we're trying to find out if she should be tossed right off this case because of misconduct and Nathan Wade along with him, and if this case should be going forward at all. Extremely impactful. We're actually watching both trials. Trump went to New York City, not to Atlanta. So he's in New York City now, and he found out the first the, the case will start March 25th. Mark Thiessen joins us now. Uh, former speechwriter for Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist, a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Mark, pretty extraordinary morning. It is a pretty extraordinary morning, and this is just the beginning. We're going to see more and more. There's, a, there's you know, 91 indictments. <laughs> so we're going to be seeing a lot of courtroom scenes uh, between now and uh, Election Day. Um, you know, this, this case isn't going to impact the election directly in the sense that I think if Trump were convicted here, I don't think most voters care about Where, that. in New York or in Georgia? The, in Either one. So I don't think the first of all, I don't think the Stormy Daniels thing, I think that's baked into the cake. People know what Trump what they what they think about what Trump did in there. And that's not going to affect anything. I think the Georgia case, I think uh, it's uh, no, the, that's not going to have a huge impact, except in the sense that it's going to distract uh, Trump from the campaign trail. All of these cases will distract Trump from the campaign trail and have us focusing on Trump and his behavior as opposed to focusing on Biden and making a referendum on Biden. So the, overall, the, the the panoply of cases affects him. But if you go, if you if you've listened to Mark Penn, his new Harvard Harris poll just came out. He says the only case that could really damage Trump in terms of a legal finding is the January 6th case, the federal January 6th case. That most voters don't care about this case. They don't care about the uh, uh, the Eugene Carroll case. They don't even care about the Georgia case so much. But if he's convicted of in the January 6th case, that that will cause a lot of swing voters to not vote for him. Uh, so that's the one that causes him the most peril, at least the polls show. Yeah, so yeah, we'll see where that goes, because we know that's in a delay of game right now. The Supreme Court's going to weigh in on that, whether he has immunity. It's not likely when they're going to be able yeah. to start it, because there's going to be another obstruction uh, level to this. So they could delay it even further. And if it gets close to the fall, does it even start? The documents case seems to be 
pretty slow, justifiably, because everyone needs the highest security clearance. There are literally millions of documents. So we'll see where that goes. And I read the whole report, and so did you, uh, with the Robert Hur report. And you wrote a column on it, and you said, forget about the second term. Is Biden fit for the presidency right now? I also watched the Daily New York Times podcast, listened to it yesterday, and I watched Peter Baker. And Peter Baker, the New York Times, who I like, you know, he's definitely not a right-wing zealot. He came out and said, I talked to a lot of people that know Joe Biden, and said he absolutely looks like he's aging rapidly in the White House. And basically, my words, my paraphrase, he's not the same guy. Mark, when his allies are saying this, New York Times saying this, it's significant. Yeah, no, I mean, and if you look at the pollings, I went back and looked at all the polling going back to 2021. And in 2021, roughly around the time of the Afghan withdrawal, the polls started showing that a majority of Americans thought that Biden was too old. Uh, to be president and cognitively impaired. I think of in, in 2021, it was about 58 percent. Then in 2023, in June, it got to be about 68 percent. In the fall, there was a poll that showed 76 percent think that he's too old. And now last week, we just had a new poll that came out that 86 percent of Americans think that he's too old to be president. But you know what? If, if you think that means that Biden can't win the presidency, I've got two words for you. Senator Fetterman. You know, the, 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 there, is, there is ample evidence that a lot of voters will choose a cognitively impaired Democrat over a candidate, a Republican alternative that they disapprove of. Um, and Donald Trump has a huge problem with independent swing voters in, in swing states. He's, you know, he, he lost that election in 2020, and yes, he did lose it. He lost it by about 44,000 votes in three states. And this election could be decided by 44,000 voters in three states. And so it's, he has to, if he's going to win this election, he's got to stop focusing so much on amplifying his base and feeding his base and focus on reaching out to voters who don't disapprove of him substantively, but disapprove of him personally and don't like his style, don't like the chaos, don't like things he says, don't like the way he behaves, because there are a lot of people who said after in 2020, Donald Trump made my life better, but I'm still voting for the other guy. And they will, they can do that again. And so, you know, we can't count on the fact that Joe Biden is cognitively impaired. He's such a disaster that Americans will just not vote for him because they will if they think that, that Trump will be worse. And he's got to that's what if he's going to win this election, that's what he's got to focus on. And he's got to fix that because and you can't fix that if you don't believe you lost the last election and keep going into election denial. You have to understand and study why you lost in order to win the next one. And he's not doing that right now. Right. Uh, But he hasn't really brought up 2020 on the stump. Uh, And the other day uh, he actually said uh, in one of his getting questions, he said in 2020, I'll be nice. Uh, after the election, and he moved on from it. So I think he's starting to realize that. It's very interesting, the revelations about uh, that Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger came up with, that 26 members of Trump's staff was spied on, many were set up, and John Brennan was not hearing about. He didn't set up that in response to what he heard about Russia. He actually set it up, and that's going to be a fascinating story if anyone wants to write it that Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger did. But I don't, almost think there's a negative thing to the president getting caught up in that, except for know what your enemy is capable of, don't you think? I think he's got to focus on what he would do as president. All, all, all she should be talking about is what a disaster Joe Biden is, and, and wasn't it great when I was president? 
and weren't you better off and wasn't your 401k better off and weren't you weren't you wasn't your uh, inflation better and wasn't the world at peace and wasn't you know uh, that if anything other than that he should not be talking about it, the 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 fact is and he and he's got to figure out a way to to peel those swing voters away from joe biden and it's not by saying look at how uh, how cognitively impaired biden is though that's worth mentioning it's convincing them that he's not a worse alternative. You know, I remember during in 2004, and you can if you ever have Carl on your podcast, you can ask him about this. But in the two in 2004, George Bush was in a tough fight for reelection against John Kerry. And their polls showed that there were a lot of people who didn't like his style. They didn't like his swagger. They didn't like, you know, the uh, uh, his, his, his attitude. And he gave this speech at the Republican convention where he said, you know, I know a lot of you uh, think I have a little too much swagger. In Texas, we call that walking. And you think I'm a little too blunt. Well, that's because of that little white-haired lady up in the in the rafters there. Uh, but always know that I'm fighting for you. You may not like the way I uh, I act sometimes, but always know I'm fighting for you. I'm paraphrasing now. He said it more eloquently. Trump's got to do something like that. He's got to he's got to reach out to those voters and say, Look, I'm I'm a New Yorker. I I I I, 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 I I'm a little bit blunt sometimes, but. I made your life better and I can do it again. And all people need is an acknowledgement that he understands that he is offensive to them. <laughs> you know, no, yeah, very that similar he, with, that yeah. he gets it, you know, and I don't know if he has the humility to do that. And I don't know if he's will is willing or able to do that. And if he isn't and he doesn't <laughs> win those voters over, we're going to have four more years of Biden and that's going to be President Kamala Harris. So uh, we're talking to Mark Thiessen. Mark, Mark, so when we uh, were monitoring this case with Ashley Merchant sticking up for Mike Roman, who's a former staffer of Donald Trump's, one of the 18 that's going to be on trial, uh, saying that they try to manipulate the election. Uh, Donald Trump joined this challenge to show about the ethics, uh, the ethics of uh, obvious violations, it seems, of, of uh, Fannie Willis. And we'll, we'll give you the latest on that. And we do know that one court case is going to be March 25th. It's going to be the Alvin Bragg case. So I, I'm going to bring you to this Tom Swazi situation. So Tom Swazi, many people say you can learn from if you're a Democrat. He won and distanced himself from Biden, a district he won by eight in 2020. Yeah. And he said the border's broken. We need to come together and fix the border. That's got to be first. And I back ICE. And. And now we're going to see a whole bunch of Democrats start saying the border's broken, we're going to fix it, and the Republicans had an opportunity, and they didn't. Is that something that Britt Hume brought this up last night? The Republicans got themselves in trouble? Yes, I think they have, um, but uh, but I don't think anybody's going to blame them for the border like Biden is trying to do. Um, I think it's a real simple thing. So Biden today, it's in the front pages of all the papers that, that ICE is considering releasing a bunch of illegal migrants because Republicans didn't pass $700 million for ICE. You know, the very simple way that Speaker Johnson can handle that. Bring up a clean ICE supplemental and offer to vote on $700 million for ICE to deport illegal migrants and detain illegal migrants and make the Democrats vote on that <laughs> because they will vote against it and then they lose the argument. So, you know, make, make, the, make Tom Swazi his first vote as a member of the House be to fund ICE <laughs> and, and just bring it up and, and, let, and call their bluff. 
you know, we they got to be a little bit more creative and a little bit more uh, thoughtful about how they do these things. You know, does it, it's not good enough to just say, okay, the, the border bill is dead. It was terrible. We're not going to do anything. We got to come up with alternatives to that. And you know, the other thing is, you know, the the Brian Fitzpatrick and some of the problem solvers in the House are coming up with a bipartisan Ukraine aid bill that will that will take just the military provisions. I have a column on this today in the Post. Take, just take just the military provisions of the, the DOD provisions of the aid, no economic aid, no funding pensions, no any of that stuff, just weapons, in exchange for restoring Title 42 and restoring Remain in Mexico. Speaker Johnson should put that on the floor immediately and vote on that. And would would solve it. We'd solve the Ukraine problem, and we would restore title to two Trump era policies uh, in a heartbeat. That would be a victory for Trump, a victory for the Republican Party. We just got to be a little bit more sophisticated than you know sitting around pounding our pounding, uh, telling the Democrats to pound sand. Mark, you know the problem, and you know this better than most, is that Mike Johnson is bright, but he has uh, he has no any experience uh, in leadership. John Boehner experience in leadership before he became Speaker. Uh, you know the experience that Kevin McCarthy had. Not only did he have leadership, he put the chairman in place. He also got most of these people elected, would travel the country, raise money, and go to bat for him. He would recruit candidates. And Mike Johnson's been asked to learn the job that he has no experience for on the job in the slimmest majority possible. And the only thing yeah. he's been doing is presiding over uh, a impeachment that failed once, embarrassingly, and now on retirements. Goodbye, Mike Gallagher. Goodbye, Congressman Green. Two stellar representatives. Yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah, the House is an absolute hot mess. It's a, you know, it's a dumpster fire. And, you know, the again, the idea that we're focusing on on impeaching Mayorkas instead of fixing the border is ridiculous. And voters see it, you know. And and yeah, we the the fact that uh, Kevin McCarthy would have would have solved this problem by now <laughs> if he were speaker. But oh, we're know. you know, we're, we have a circular firing squad in the House. And look. The reality is it is very possible, despite all, you know, everybody's in this la-la land where they think, oh, Biden is such a disaster. His polls are so bad. He's going to lose. We're going to take the House. We're going to take the Senate. No, that, that's not that's not guaranteed. That's not that may not even be likely. And if we lose the House, lose the White House and lose the set and don't take back the Senate, you don't have mansion. You don't have cinema. You're, they're going to get rid of the filibuster, who are the only thing standing between the Democrats and get rid of the filibuster. They're going to pack the Senate with four, uh, with four Democratic votes by bringing in Puerto Rico and the D.C. estates. They're going to pack the Supreme Court. And then Joe Biden is going to step aside at some point in the next four years and make Kamala Harris president. And you're going to have Kamala Harris presiding over a Congress where they can pass anything with a simple majority. So we better get our our, uh, our crap together because th- the disaster is pending around the corner. Uh, and don't forget what he'll do to our energy with climate change. Uh, good point, oh uh, Mark. I just hope you call Speaker Johnson. He needs some ideas. Well, you know, hopefully he listens to your show or somebody I, who knows him listens to your show. Uh, all right. That'll, well, Send maybe you'll relay. Send him his tape. All right. Yeah, it's, I do want cassette tapes, too, so I'm going to put it in a padded envelope, and I'll send it out. Hopefully he has a player. I, I, think, that's, I think that's excellent, if, if you don't have a track. By the way, if you want to get Mark's uh, podcast, uh, go to What the Hell is Going On, get it everywhere. Uh, Mark hosted. Mark, thanks so much. Crazy time. Thank you, Brian. You Take got care. it.
All right, I want to get your calls on this, 1-866-408-7669. I'm getting a ton of your emails on BrianKillMe.com. Quick note, especially to everyone out there in Nevada, I'm going to be in Henderson, Nevada, April 27th, talking about things that matter. It's going to be history, liberty, and laughs, and I know you're going to have a great time. We're going to be on stage. It's better than Cats, and it is a lot better than Hamilton because I'm on it. We bring history to life, so go to BrianKillMe.com. And we'll talk about it. Then we're on the Q&A. Most likely will be about things that we're covering right now, like these courts and this election. Brian Kilmeade Show. Hear the ins and outs of the 2024 election right here. The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll address that. We'll see what the Senate does. We, we spend a lot of time on the House side waiting, awaiting the Senate's action, and it's frustrating sometimes, but that's the way the process plays out. We are not going to be uh, forced into action by the Senate, who in the latest product they sent us over does not have one word in the bill about America's border, not one word about security. We have to address this seriously. We have to actually solve the problems and not just uh, take political posturing, as, as has happened uh, in some of these other corners. The problem is uh, you asked for border security, Speaker Johnson, and you didn't like what was produced, whether you like it or not, whether people that listening to me right now love the Langford bill or hated the Langford bill. There was, it, there was stuff in there for both sides. And instead of trying to improve it, they blew it up, so they came back with just foreign aid. Now it's in the House. And he says, where's the border security? And they're going to come back and say, we gave you a plan. We took an extra month. We waited through the holidays, and you didn't like it. So that is the plan. And they're going to say, well, we have a plan. Take a look at it. They go, H.R. 2 is not going to work in the Senate. So we're going to have just a huge impasse, and uh, the Israelis are not going to get funded. Taiwanese are not going to get funded. The Ukrainians are not going to get funded. And the border is not going to get funded. I'm pretty sure that's not the best-case scenario that we were hoping for. We are watching both these trials, too, by the way. Just to get to uh, some of your emails, and they're random about just about everything we were uh, talking about. Uh, Here's one. Why is special counsel heard? This is from Carol. Uh, why is special counsel her making the decision not to charge Biden? This should not be his decision, should it? If they can do recommendations, you're right. And in the recommendations in reading it, Joe Biden has made mistakes dating back to 1977, holding on to documents. But they try to look on intention. No doubt about it. From 2009 on, the Afghanistan documents were taken intentionally. He wanted the record to show because he considered himself an historic figure, number one. Number two. He wanted to keep it because he wanted to do his book. So that was taken. And keep in mind, this is the same president that looked into the camera and just condemned Donald Trump. Couldn't believe that he would do the same thing in Mar-a-Lago, knowing what he had done his entire career. I'm frustrated, too. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. All right. We're watching 2K. Well, one case is wrapped up. It looks like the Alvin Bragg uh, Trump trial started on March 25th. You know, I don't know if there's going to be something to stop it there. But good luck. Back Stormy Daniels back in the news. So that's the one case everyone saw was so weak. And the term they keep using is bootstrapped together to be a federal case to try to get Donald Trump in jail. Alvin Bragg totally over his, uh, uh, out of his depth. The minute he brought the case, everyone began to turn for Trump. And the, believe me, one of the people most upset by it was Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. 
Because as soon as this case started, and it began with uh, Alvin Bragg, people started saying, that's really the case to try a former president of the United States who's now running for president again? And when people saw the case and how it was outlined and saw that Michael Cohen was the lead witness, they begin to change and understand that there's an attack against him. Whether Trump's guilty or not, we're not even going to get to that. How would it affect the last election in 2016? Ridiculous on its first surface. And now we're seeing the stops and starts of this Fannie Willis situation. And she's the, uh, she's the prosecuting attorney who came forward and put the case against Donald Trump to say he manipulated the election in Georgia, tried to overthrow an election. The problem is she's uh, ethically compromised and she's being challenged by Mike Roman's uh, attorney. Her name is Ashley Merchant. And Mike Roman is one of the 17 defendants, along with the former president of the United States, who's been prosecuted for trying to overturn an election. They claim problem is this other guy, Nathan Wade, who got the job clearly without any experience because he's having an affair with uh, with Fannie Willis, who they've admitted to. But when did starts matter? Wow, I'm breathless. Joining me now is famed attorney uh, Kennedy. Thank you very much, Ryan. It's it's been tough going to law school and medical school, but somehow I managed to work it in while while working full time. Mm -hmm. That's right. And you do well. Uh, thank you. I did. You uh, you don't do it for pay. You do it to relax. I do it. I, I, I'm a pro bono welder. <laughs> right. It, it's not one of the more popular trades, but right. You know, a lot of people say pro. They that's great, but then you go bono. Yeah, and they're like, and they're like, oh, sunny too great. soon. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Is it like a volunteer fire department? You can write it off in your taxes. Yeah, that's why I do it. <laughs> You're a pro bono welder. Big big tax write off. I, I just throw on a a mask or a shield and and the little uh, fiery thing. And I head down with the boys right. in the sewer and just get some stuff done. There's so much wrong with your statement to prove. If you were on What's My Line, you would have definitely lost. Right? You would like the fiery thing? The fiery thing, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's that's right. why she works for free, ladies and gentlemen, because <laughs> she has the fiery thing. Yep. Yeah, you can work Spark on my up, pipes. Boys. And now, um, so we're just watching some of this stuff take place. And Jonathan Chilly made a statement uh, around 930, and he said, that dual screen of Donald Trump heading to Alvin Bragg's courtroom and – this Georgia court case taking place with one of the defendants, that dual screen is a boon for candidate Trump. I can't believe he's right. He is right, though, it's, isn't it's it? Not, is that it's crazy? It's not hurting him. Obviously, right. it is not hurting him. But you're absolutely right about the New York City case, because, you know, if there is a case to be made that the president is an insurrectionist, that might be the more serious track January to 6th. take. Yes, um, but the the whole Stormy Daniels hush money thing, that is really just digging up a corpse to dance with. You know what they say? Because you're lonely at the ball. Right. And uh, I have never heard that expression. You just made that up. I did. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> digging up a corpse. You want to write it down? I would and claim it as my own once you leave. Okay, Are you going to leave right away, right at the top of the hour? Because that's welding o'clock. to do. Right, because we have new affiliates. We'll think that's mine, right? You got some free welding. Yeah. You would think you'd have to study for law school or medical school, but no, it's going to be free welding. Kennedy. Listen, the, this case fundamentally is, did the president affect an election by suppressing stories that would have hurt his candidacy? I don't know. You know that Access Hollywood tape? Pretty sure people understood who they were voting for. That came out way before. Okay, what and about, I'm pretty sure Stormy Daniels. But what about James Comey using his friend to leak information um, to the New York Times in order to kickstart the special counsel investigation. Oh, yeah, that was once he was president. president. Yeah. I Uh, mean, what about that? What about affecting the outcome of an election? I mean, there are Democrats who say that Comey affected the outcome of the election before that, but he 
directly use the press in order to kickstart the impeachment process. And how about this new revelation that just came out with Matt Taibbi and and, uh, Michael Schellenberger that said 26 different uh, Trump staffers were being investigated uh, by uh, prior to the election and through the election. They didn't form Crossfire Hurricane because they heard that Russia is working with President Trump to overthrow a country. They did it ahead of time prior to that because they want to make sure he didn't win. Yeah, they were looking. They were looking for crime. Looking and lurking. Which is not how the United States justice system and certainly the FBI are meant to operate. Right. So but now, Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger have been doing incredible real investigative work in this arena. And they're not partisan hacks. They are independent journalists. And they've called out both sides and, and Matt Taibbi. Um, you know, a lot of people thought he was a big lefty for a long time. He wrote for the Rolling Stone. That's right. And he said, I come from a huge liberal family. Mm -hmm. And he said that uh, it's kind of interesting while he was testifying, there was a knock at his door, the IRS. Yes. And they need to get ahead of this independent journalist. But it was it was really interesting because they actually owed him money. Oh, I did not follow that. They owed him money and they they kickstarted their investigation of him on Christmas Eve. So someone was called into the office on Christmas Eve because they owed Matt Taibbi money. It's uh, absolutely insane. I think we just have to point this out regardless of who you're voting for. Uh, and we'll keep you up to date on this trial. But they're trying desperately to put, uh, not bring out when this affair started between Fannie Willis and Nathan you know, Wade. You know who would like to really pinpoint when this started is the ex-wife. Right. You know, that's how we learned about all this stuff because she got the divorce documents unsealed. Because hell hath no fury and she's not she, – I, I have a feeling the ex-wife is not necessarily a, a partisan operative here, uh, but she wants to stick it to her ex-husband. It right, yeah. Uh, obviously hurting her. Right, and now the business partner's up there, so Nathan Wade was on in there. And I'm not saying physically. I'm saying that yes. there was a, a, a great deal of emotional pain, obviously, which is usually the basis for – this sort of aggressive filing. And when they say, yeah, he did take, he was getting paid $600,000 for this case, more than any other case. And they did go on the Norwegian cruise line. Uh, and there's hey another. Man, you got to study somewhere, right? right? And then there was a Norwegian cruise line. Got to bone up on your briefs. Right, absolutely. <laughs> no, absolutely. That was, you're really cracking yourself up today. This show is really working out for you. It really is. All right, absolutely. Are you going to bring that to your podcast? Life. The Pro Bono Welder? <laughs> the Kennedy, the podcast, the Pro Bono Welder brings her story to life. Each and every week. By the way, can we? Don't you think my studio should be more like your podcast studio? Oh, no, yeah. I feel like the rug on the wall is outdated at this point. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's for soundproofing, but it, it almost feels like a, a mental institution. Right. Maybe, maybe I'm getting a signal. I do. I I notice I can't get out. Only people can come in. That's really weird. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely locks from the outside. <laughs> it's kind of which weird. is the opposite of how. Most studios and workplaces operate. Right. And in this white jacket, they want me to wear it uh, (laughs) every day. Cute buckles, Good thing you don't need hands to talk on the radio. Uh, (laughs) So, Kennedy, Tom Swazi wins the local election, Mm -hmm. special election, and he wins handily. It looks like 54 to 46 over Mozzie Pillip. There's a few things that you could say. Thanks, yes. George Santos. George Santos, number one, poisoned the well, one by five. Number two, you could say the weather because Republicans haven't been told don't vote early, and 82,000 people voted early. This is just so you know, it is uh, a little bit of Queens, a lot of Nassau County, which mm-hmm. has been getting redder and redder, but this is a purple area. He had huge name recognition. She didn't. 
But a lot of other people. I have no idea who she was. Right. I would see the ads. I mean, we were seeing the ads all over the place on local TV here in New York. And I didn't, I mean, it seemed like she had a compelling story. And I'm always ready to jump on the bandwagon if someone wants to lead me down an emotional road. But I wasn't particularly drawn in by her story. So he wins and he came up, didn't mention Joe Biden, says, I'm strong on the border, I'm pro ice. There's no credibility there, but the words were there. And he said, I am for. I am for that bipartisan bill. I want to look at it and make it better. She came out and said, I'm against it, and I'm strong borders. So abortion obviously is going to play a role from here to kingdom come. But your thoughts, do you think Republicans should take note of this or just say special is unique? Yeah, and, you know, they thought that George Santos was an interesting roadmap for future Republican victories in purple areas. But, you know, this may be a roadmap of what not to do. In the future, and maybe run a candidate who does have a little bit more name recognition. Where's that Rick Lazio that everyone loves? Well, that's what a great name. What about Lee Zeldin? He says, I don't want any part of Congress, but that would have been a victory for him. Oh, if successfully his clues, he was how to do it. Well, and even if he did it for, you know, a couple of years, like one or two terms, he still could have solidified the district and, you know, groomed the Run for governor again. Yeah. It would have been interesting because Swazi is well-known. He was Nassau County executive, but he goes up there. But my problem is this. I think Republicans just flat out walking away and just saying, I'm not going to do this, Bill. I don't like what Langford did. I don't care if you ultimately like it or not. But they didn't even look at it. They were entertaining it and kicked it to the curb before it was even out. Mm-hmm. That might not be good for people that were still deciding who to vote for. The, but the why right- do we have to lump everything together? That's my problem. Why even do the comprehensive thing? Yeah. It seemed too comprehensive. Yes. Should have just gotten what? Money for? I mean, you need you need two things here. You need border security and you need to really asylum. overhaul the immigration process, which means defining what asylum is. Because this is a term that everyone throws around, but they don't really understand the definition. Like, asylum, there's a cap on the number of asylees who are let into the country. And it's not two million a year. Right. Like 70,000, something like that. And a- asylum is a very special, particular designation for people who are in grave danger where they live, right. who have been displaced or who are being persecuted. And because you don't like the politicians and the economic landscape where you live, that doesn't qualify you for asylum. Yeah, and one thing that Langford did put together, he said the only way you can get in is uh, hardcore proof that you can't live anywhere else in the world, which is tough. And then he said you can't live anywhere else in your country. Mm-hmm. So if you come to the border, and that's your story, they could not agree on kids because evidently we just have we, – when a kid comes to the border unaccompanied, they stay. And they could not agree – But that's uh, also a, a magnet for – Coyotes sending kids. Absolutely. And, you know, pillaging these Democrats families, $5,000, $6,000. And that, but it, to me, it would have been better to go in there and say, all right, I love the fact that you're going to repurpose $650 million that we already purposed for the wall. You're going to build another 50 miles of wall over the next 18 months. I like that. I like the fact that we're going to redo asylum. We got to get together on the unaccompanied minors or this doesn't, something other than I don't want I anything. Mean, but what about, what about the, um, Hakuba or Hakumba, where Bill Malusion was, where they were showing, you know, a gap in the wall and people were streaming in. How could you be president like of the United States and that's just okay? Open the gates yeah. at a Travis Scott show. And guess how they did it? TikTok yes. identified it, especially helpful for the Chinese. Mm-hmm. But yes, it, and, and now we've got 
20,000 Chinese nationals in the first quarter of 2024, the fiscal year, which started in October. And how how is that? I mean, I I don't understand. I don't either. How people like, yeah, no, it's totally normal. It's not. If in 2021 you had 400 and in the first quarter of 2024, you've got 20,000. I mean, the math should tell you something like something is going on. Maybe like Kamala Harris loves figuring out these root causes. Maybe figure that one out. Right. Like, why? She also likes Venn diagrams. She loves them. She's crazy about them. And she likes buses. She loves buses and talking about busing. And that girl was me. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Kamala Harris. Back in a moment with the pro bono welder. Pro bono. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Users are already reporting symptoms of simulator sickness, like nausea, dizziness, and headaches. Here's a tip. Save three grand and watch Fox and Friends instead. It's a good show. That's two already. I know. (laughs) Brian, so this product basically alters reality. So if you had a pair of these, do you think it would allow you to find friends? Okay. I alleviate you from that. Um, Thanks for the uh, pick-me-up. And again, I I didn't even get hello. Before I got hello, I got two hits. And then the first words are a third hit. So I'm looking to come from behind. Yes, you are. Three to zero. I say the worst thing, if you ever wore those, is I'd never get to see your delightful eyebrows. Right. I, I, I sleep on my face. And, uh, and I rub it back and forth until they gradually come off. I am half Irish, half Italian. Wow. So half my eyebrows are there and half aren't. That is such a great line. Right. I sleep on my face. It's, it's... Someone's got to. Yes. <laughs> oh. I got applause for that? Yes. Kennedy. Well, you already said I'll come from behind. <laughs> That was a little of living uh, gut felt, that moment on the panel. Yes. Which, how many times during that show do you say to yourself, why am I here? (laughs) I say to myself every time. I think they say that about me. I think the bookers and Greg are like, why why is she here? Why is she she keeps showing up? How does her key card still work? Right. Um, By the way, Nathan Wade is now on the stand. Oh, there he Uh, is. He left. He's a looker. You consider him? Is that what you mean? No, I'm I'm kind of joking. I mean, he's, he's just fine. He's just fine. Right. He is using nice all, smooth head. Who would beard. think? Right. Uh, who would think that those years working car accidents, uh, he does that and divorces would make him perfect to try the next pre- the, yeah, the, the president? Yeah, the president of the United States. Right. Trying to bring down his political legacy and <laughs> put a nail in his presidential coffin so he can never ever run again. That's the guy you go for. <laughs> it's unbelievable. What I what I'm hoping for. I love that. You know what I love about this? What? Like the heart wants what it wants. And you can be reduced to an early adolescent giddy schoolgirl with one crush and your professional ethics just fly out the window because that drive is so strong. It can override anything. So what example do you have? You mean Fanny Willis yes. and Nathan Wade? Yes. Like he's probably a good kisser. And she's like, oh, my God, I'll give you everything. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There are other examples. Let's do a case together. There are other oh examples. Oh, my God, I'll pay you so much money. Be my boyfriend. Jonathan Edwards is another one, right? Oh, yeah. That ended up costing him yeah, everything. videographer. Right. Yeah, it, and he had a baby. 
And then and who she got went blabbing to the press. They, oh, yeah, no, we're totally still together. And he puts out a release the next day. I am breaking up with you publicly now. Stop talking about me. You have a good memory of this. Thank you. Right. That's very good. And the Inquirer broke that story. Right. And then we thought, oh, okay, okay. Followed her around the Beverly Hills Hotel. He was there, too. There was a baby that looked an awful lot like him. And then you realize when you see the baby, like, he looks like a giant baby. Hmm. Weird. You remember how many pairings just don't get along anymore? Think about this. You think Edwards and Carrie talk anymore? Don't think Absolutely so. not. I mean, Tipper and Al don't talk anymore. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. McCain and uh, Palin weren't even speaking at the end. Palin was invited to the funeral. Yeah, but she's so annoying. I know she's proud of your bro, but... No, no, I'm just saying... She seemed great on paper. I was doing talk radio at the time, like, what a good pick. Very nice. Mom of five, governor, smokes weed, loves Van Halen. I'm like, check, 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 check. I didn't know she she smokes uh, pot. That's what they said in 2008. Well, I know this. They're very... I I know Ron Duguay. They're a couple. Sure. Uh, They're listening on WOKV right now, and we fully support their relationship. Well, I love the New York Rangers, so... Right. Still, even though he's not playing anymore. No, that's okay. Matter. Once a Ranger. By the way, yeah, I mean, still in very good shape. Sure. I, mean, right. I just asked Sarah Palin. <laughs> <laughs> Other examples? Bill Clinton does talk to Al Gore. Nobody Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. No longer together. No longer, but lovesick for and, each other. And for a while, they were going to run for president. Am I correct? Yes. <laughs> Joint <laughs> ticket. They were tickets. She's on top. Not anymore. Remember uh, A-Rod and J-Lo? No more. No more. No moss. Right. Imagine if they bought the Mets. Woo. Mets would have even Thank more God problems. Kenny, it was good to see you. Good to see you, Brian. Go weld. <laughs> From the Fox News radio studios in midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. We have a lot going on in the world today and a lot going on around the country, especially when it comes to the Trump trials. Two at the same time, one wrapped up. Looks like we have a date. It'll be the 25th of March to begin the Alvin Bragg case. It's supposed to be the weakest indictment of the former president of the United States, but to be taken seriously. And now he chose to go there, did the former president, as opposed to go to Georgia, where the credibility of the prosecution is on display. Right now, Nathan Wade is on the stand. Who is he? The lead prosecutor appointed by uh, Fannie Willis. Who is she? She's the prosecutor who brought the charges against President Trump in the state, in the county of Fulton. And she chose him, Nathan Wade, to lead. What's significant about that? He's got no experience. He's getting paid a ton of money. And they had an affair, which they admitted to. They're trying to get a timeline together. One of the 17 defendants, this guy, Mike Roman. Mike Roman is the one who's challenging the credibility of this prosecution through his attorney, Ashley Merton, uh, uh, Merton um, Merchant, I should say. And she is doing a great job uh, just poking holes in their credibility. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know what it means for the case, but it shows it, it shows an absolute circus which is taking place. And right now, according to the recent polls, uh, Trump on top in almost every battleground state. Before we get to Ian Bremmer and then John Hanna, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. But what I think is really important is that wages have gone up along with prices. So people are better off than they were pre-pandemic. Is that the truth? The market's not saying that. Is the economy rolling or about to collapse? Which one is it? We're getting ominous signals from people like Jamie Dimon, people like FedEx founder Fred Smith, that we are about to hit a debt wall that's going to change all of our lives. What are we to believe? 
Number two. Voters are really smart. They see through spin, and they want the crisis at the border fixed. And they know that there was a proposal to get that fixed, worked on for months in the Senate, led by a Republican, and that Speaker Johnson and House Republicans have turned their backs on that to keep the issue alive. 2024 special election leaves Dems clues to success if there are others, uh, if it's uh, their other greatest failures, the border, and that is it. The politics and policies that collapse the border uh, is going to be on front and displayed. And right now, this country and many cities overwhelmed with illegals and in New York with lethal gangs. Number one. Not only this would enable them to target satellites and communications and GPS capabilities, but it also would be able to potentially be an EMP that could target the entire U.S. grid. And this would be a new capability that we have effectively uh, no defense against. Yeah, Nicholas Shalon, he was on Fox and Friends with me earlier. He's a, a software, Space Force software engineer, and he's talking about what's emerging now, a national security emergency. Seemingly out of nowhere, Intel Chair Mike Turner is fed up with the lack of action, speaks up and causes a national frenzy, and it's all about Russia and putting nukes in space to blow up our satellites. Not bad. Uh, how to make sense of all this? Let's turn to Ian Bremer now, president and founder of Eurasia Group, uh, G Zero Media. Ian, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Always good to talk to you. So I was a little surprised that the Russians are in space looking to nuke our satellites. Were you? Yeah, especially since uh, they're having a really hard time uh, with their regular military industrial complex. I mean, they have to get uh, you know chips, semiconductors uh, that aren't as good as they need uh, from China. They have to you know reverse engineer things like washing machines um, and and cars, uh, which they're having a hard time producing. So they can keep the war effort going. So I got to tell you, um, I am uh, I, at, at top line. I'm a little skeptical. Uh, both uh, of the timing of this quote-unquote urgent emergency news and also as to what extent Russia is really represents a game-changing technological threat to the Americans. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. If you're going to get nuclear weapons into space to shoot them, I don't know the last time we had a space race we did pretty well. Last time we had uh, Star Wars, I think it freaked them out, but now they're saying they're leading the charge. So we'll see what happens when this emerges. Now everyone saw it and they say it's serious. First off, when it comes to Ukraine, uh, I am shocked that Republicans are so against this. I think it's a great point that our borders collapse and this administration seemed to be ignoring it. But having said that, they're not telling people what's happening. I know the Ukrainians have their hands full, but they've already done very significant, had significant success surviving, taking out a, a huge chunk of their Navy and taking out over 300,000 Russian forces. Your thoughts? Well, the farther you are from the front lines, uh, the less you experience uh, this as a national priority. Uh, we see that in the difference between the Baltic states, the Nordics, and Poland on the one hand, and Italy and Spain and Germany on the other. And the United States, I mean, you know, we have the biggest military in the world, and we've been the world policeman for a long time. A lot of that hasn't gone so well, but we also have a really divided political environment. And this is one uh, where uh, Trump personally and a lot of the Freedom Caucus sees an opportunity to undermine Biden. I mean, Biden was the guy that said, we're going to support you no matter what it takes for as long as you need. And then literally months later, he has to back away from that. That makes him look like a weak leader uh, and a weak leader at a time when the elections are coming up in November. Also, the Americans, we like an underdog, but we also want to back a winner. 
And in the last six months, the Ukrainians have had a hard time. Uh, the average age of a fighter on the front lines is almost 40 years old in Ukraine right now. They're, they can't do another mobilization. They're infighting. He got rid of his uh, head of military, who has over 90 percent approval ratings. This guy's Zaluzhny just a few days ago. Uh, and, of course, the much vaunted counteroffensive went absolutely nowhere. And now the Ukrainians are on defense. I mean, they have a very, very just cause. And I do believe that they deserve American and broader NATO support to help defend themselves. But uh, it is increasingly looking like the level of that support will be inadequate, wholly inadequate, uh, to prevent Ukraine from being partitioned. And Putin knows that very well. He knows that he's got patience. He cares a lot more about this land than we do. And that's what he's counting on. But he is paying a price. He's paying a huge price. A huge price. Uh, $300 billion of his foreign assets are frozen, and he is unlikely to ever get them back. They might even be seized. The U.S. is pushing on that. He has gas that they used to sell to Europe. They have no infrastructure to bring it anywhere else, so now it's just sitting there. They can't sell it. He's had um, over a million able-bodied young Russian men that have fled the country to avoid the draft. And they're now providing their human capital for other countries in the region and the Middle East and the rest. Um, I mean, there's no question when when your leading ally providing you military support is North Korea and Iran, you are not doing well on the global stage. But it has helped them. North Korea's artillery has been a benefit, it seems. Uh, they have had thousands and thousands of rail cars of ammunition and short range missiles um, that have been provided to Russia. Uh, and that is absolutely helping the Russians wage this war effectively against Ukraine. And we know that there are thousands of rail cars that have gone back from Russia into North Korea. We have no idea what's in them. But certainly uh, Russia is highly incented to provide a lot of support and a lot of diplomatic cover for Russia right now. I and mean, I saw the Russian ambassador to Pyongyang actually say a few days ago, uh, threatening that there could be a seventh nuclear test from North Korea if uh, if they weren't taken seriously. It's like the Russians are, are acting like their spokesperson, their hype guy. Uh, and that's not a good thing. We also hear that Putin's considering a trip to Pyongyang. His foreign minister was recently there, Sergei Lavrov, would be his first trip there since the year 2000. We should not fall asleep on the Russia-North Korea relationship. Right. Uh, and the Iranians. So let's look at what's happening now. Uh, now, I know you've got uh, uh, tentacles and contacts is over in Munich at the security conference. But right now, Rafa is the focus. And it's hard for the Israelis to rationalize not going into Rafa and saying that they did all they could to eradicate Hamas. And yet the whole world is saying, don't go into Rafa. You told everyone to uh, to evacuate to Rafa. And now you're going to take Rafa. What's good? Maybe you can update us, Ian. Sure. Well, Brian, first of all, part of what they are doing with this sudden imminent pressure on ground warfare in Rafah, where you have all of these Palestinians that have fled to, is because they're trying to put more pressure on Hamas to uh, negotiate uh, more effectively uh, for a temporary ceasefire, four to six weeks, and uh, a, a significant handover of uh, the hostages that four months later Hamas is still holding in Gaza. So that's the backdrop here. It's not, it's not that Israel feels like they have to do um, a, a, a significant ground invasion into Rafah. They are doing airstrikes, 
and they did have a small raid that netted them two um, hostages that they were able to free uh, through that raid, and, and the Israeli war cabinet certainly uh, got some kudos at home as a consequence of that. But I, I think that most of this is a feint to get a better deal done, uh, which uh, everyone involved, uh, the Egyptians, the Qataris, uh, director of CIA Bill Burns, everyone feels like we are within arm's length of getting that agreement done. Now, that doesn't mean a ceasefire forever. It doesn't mean an end to the hostilities, but it does provide some breathing mm -hmm. space for the Americans to negotiate with the Gulf states what Palestinian mm -hmm. governance would look like, who's going to take care of security and defense on the ground if it can't be the Palestinians, um, how do you rebuild and reconstruct this so that the people have lives, and, and also how, do the, how are the Israelis guaranteed their own security going forward, what kind of a buffer zone and the rest. All of that needs to happen, and, and it's much more likely to happen uh, if we have a few weeks where nobody's actually fighting. I mean, if you ask the Israelis, from their point of view, the Hamas made it easy for them. They said, as soon as we can, we're going to do this again. We're going to attack. Yeah. We're never going to stop attacking. So you can't even, they're not even saying, hey, guys, it was just some bad actors, and why are you punishing everybody else for this? No, Hamas, this is what they live and uh, breathe. This is what they're going to do, and they're never going to stop. They made it easy for Israel um, to say that domestically, and that, that point is widely uh, supported by the entire Israeli population. But a, a lot of countries outside of Israel, including their friends, uh, don't really buy it. And they don't really buy it because, of course, Israel has by far the most effective intelligence, offensive military capacity, defensive military capacity. But how did it go October 7th? How did it go well, October 7th? Yes, it's a very good point, and, and, and Hamas is completely responsible for that. But, his, but Prime Minister Netanyahu was asleep at the switch. He was the one that took his Israeli defense forces away from Gaza and put them into the West Bank. He was the one ignoring his intelligence and focusing on, I want to take more land in the occupied territories, and I want to change the judicial system, and I don't care how many people are demonstrating. So uh, it, the Israelis overwhelmingly blame Netanyahu for October 7th. The surveys are staggering. Left, right, center doesn't matter. They blame him. And, and he personally is a big part of the reason why the political debate in Israel is going the way it is right now. But Israel does have the ability to decide on their terms when and how they want to engage in strikes against Hamas. It's like when yeah. Iran's proxies killed those American servicemen and women in Jordan. The United States could have responded the next day. The U.S. didn't have to respond the next day. The U.S. has the capacity to respond at the time and place and methodology of America's choosing. You know why? Because the United States has the strongest military by far in the world. And that gives us the ability. We, we do not have to respond on someone else's timeline. And the Israelis have absolutely gotten sucked in on Hamas's timeline. And it's made Hamas and, and it's made other radicals and the so-called axis of resistance stronger, ultimately not in Israel's interest. Um, true, uh, in a way. And I think there's a lot of actors out there who just see Iran getting strength but would like that to diminish. What do you think Iran is getting what they wanted? Um, I think Iran feels like they have a lot of flexibility before they're going to get threatened themselves. Uh, Biden clearly is not prepared to take a risk 
on a direct confrontation with the Iranians, the way that President Trump, for example, ordered the assassination of Qasem Soleimani. Uh, and I think that the Iranians are taking that to the bank to a degree. I think that they are they, – they feel like they have more flexibility in providing ongoing significant military support for proxies across the region, providing them with intelligence, and they're still engaging in attacks, and not just attacks against against ships that are going through the Red Sea, but attacks against American and allied military in on the ground in the region. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that Iran feels like they're in a reasonably strong position right now. They, of course, have normalized their relations with Saudi Arabia and the UAE, facilitated not by the U.S., of course, but by Beijing. Um, and they also have a much stronger relationship with Russia. So if you're Iran today, you've got economic problems. You've got a supreme leader in his 80s that's about to uh, transfer power. Those are challenges at home. But geopolitically, you feel like you're doing pretty well. All right. So uh, just real quick, back to Europe, uh, sure. the Russia threats, the Estonian Foreign Intelligence Service day, the Russian military's ongoing restructuring and is now expanding to intensify posturing towards the border with Finland. The Kremlin is also conducting information operations against Moldova. It reminds everybody of 2014, what they did with Ukraine, uh, and then 2022 when they ultimately invaded. So they're not done yet. I mean, for people, it's not rhetoric uh, to say, it's not hyperbole to say the Russians want to expand. That's right. It reminds, it should remind everyone of two things. First is that the it is incumbent on the United States to do everything possible um, to work closely with NATO allies and to push and pressure NATO allies into spending more for their own self-defense and for their own troop readiness, some of which have done very, very little of that. And that's part of why Ukraine is in the fix they're in right now. It's also incumbent, uh, and if, if that's something that Biden hasn't done well, it's also incumbent on Trump uh, not to undermine NATO allies by saying that uh, Putin should be able to take <laughs> – should be able to invade and we don't right. care um, if, uh, if they don't pay. So I, I think that there's been, uh, there's been a, too much politics on this and not enough focus on the long-term importance of a strong, consolidated right. NATO. It's the strongest alliance in the world, and we're, we're not helping ourselves right now. Uh, Ian Bremer, I could talk to you forever and still not cover everything. Uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, check out the Eurasia Group and his G0 Media. Thanks, Ian. Be good, Brett. You got it. When we come back, I'll take some calls, one 866 I know not everybody believes Ukraine is worth it. People are bored with it or they think they're frustrated with it. I get it. But just understand, the objective is right. The The plan and the operation is not great from the U.S. perspective. And that could change. Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. So instead of being in South Carolina and other states campaigning, I'm stuck here. It's an election interference case. Uh, Nobody's ever seen anything like it in this country. It's a disgrace. It's a disgraceful situation, actually. And we'll just have to figure it out. I'll be here during the day and I'll be campaigning during the night. Uh, Biden should be doing the same thing, but he'll be sleeping. This is all from the DOJ. This all comes out of Washington. They're coordinated with the district attorney and the AG. The case tomorrow, which is a rigged deal, is uh, all coordinated with the uh, district attorney, and it's coordinated with the attorney general of New York, Letitia James. Who ought to be ashamed of herself. She's campaigned for years of trying to get Trump without knowing anything about me. It's all a rigged 
It's a rigged state. It's a rigged city. It's a shame. They ought to, what they ought to do is go out and take care of the violent crime and the migrant crime that's destroying people and killing people. That is 100% correct. President Trump is out there saying, I got an official court date now, criminal trial, be March 25th, the Alvin Bragg case. He's talking about the Georgia case and a relationship now and the problem the prosecutors have because of ethical violations. And tomorrow he'll find out how much he owes New York City. A lot on Trump's table. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I saw Chairman Turner's statement on the issue, and I I want to assure the American people there is no need for public alarm. We are going to work together to address this matter, as we do all sensitive matters that are classified. And beyond that, uh, I'm not at liberty to disclose classified information and really can't say much more. But we just want to assure everyone... uh, Steady hands are at the wheel. We're working on it, and there's no need for alarm. That is the Speaker of the House referring to what's happening with Russia having nukes in space to blow up our satellites. Yes, the people that roll out tanks from the museums because they're out of them suddenly have nuclear technology to the point where they can shoot our satellites out in space. And they think it's serious enough, and I'm being, not being sarcastic, that they've wanted to brief all uh, the all House leadership, uh, the whole House, and they say it's all serious, and now Jake Sullivan's going to brief today. What is really going on uh, behind the scenes? Let's bring in my best next guest. He knows uh, he's John Hanna, former National Security Advisor to Vice President Dick Cheney uh, for four years, senior fellow at the Jewish Institute for National Security of America. John, welcome. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. So I tell you what, I didn't think I'd be talking about this when you were booked yesterday. But in the afternoon, uh, Mike Turner came out and said, I, I'm so tired of the inaction. This is serious. I want action and I want everyone to know about it. What's going on here? Well, it's a good question. There's obviously some behind-the-scenes political wrangling going on here, and it relates, I think, primarily to the Ukraine assistance bill that that Representative Turner has been a huge supporter of, and he's had some problems with the Republican caucus in convincing them that we've got to do everything possible to weaken and defeat Russia in, in Ukraine. And therefore, this news about new Russian advances on their uh, nuclear anti-satellite program, I think, is a way to raise the temperature and remind everybody that uh, besides China, we've got another major, major peer competitor uh, of the United States who is racing ahead, ahead of us to capture the high ground of space. And of course, anybody who controls the high ground, it's the, the ancient wisdom of, of warfare, uh, controls the battlefield. So Nicholas Charlene, he's with Space Force, a former software engineer. He was all over this. He said, I knew about it two years ago, and he's frustrated. He says the Air Force is, in get, is, get, is not modernizing like it should. Cut seven. 
I don't think there is a plan now to to do much about it. I think we're looking at different options. It's it's very difficult, right? Because you're now uh, addressing this issue on a b much broader scale. Uh, detection capabilities are not able to uh, handle that kind of threat in space. So that's they, there is no real answer now. And I think we're learning about this now because people are trying to really um, shine a light to the importance mm. of our, our ability to uh, get all this information from Russia uh, and these discussions to. Uh, you know, uh, potentially stop these right. uh, uh, capabilities. So without these, we would not be able to know that mm -hmm. Russia is working on these programs. So, and he, yeah, he went on to say it's been frustrating because we do have the ability, but not the execution. Do you know what's going on there? I mean, I, at this point, I don't know the details of this, Brian. All I can say is I know we are behind in these capabilities. I mean, the overall story of the dismal shape of the American military at this point in time and our defense industrial complex is uh, a very, very, very serious national security issue that nobody at this point in time is really seriously addressing. But this problem in space, where the, both the Russians and the Chinese with their laser weapons are far ahead of us and getting closer to an actual deployment that could threaten to completely blind us and paralyze the American economy um, is uh, is just looming right over the horizon, and we've got to get serious at least about developing, if not capabilities to counter these capabilities, our own capabilities to inflict similar kind of harm on the Russians and Chinese and therefore get into at least a situation of, of kind of mutual assured destruction and deterrence in space. Right now, we don't even have that. Yeah, and uh, we were getting some of that. So. Uh, every time I see Jake Sullivan, I never feel better. Uh, so he does not seem like a guy in control. Remember, he's the one who said the Middle East has never been as calm one week before October 7th in the attack. Here he is yesterday. Cut three. So first, I reached out uh, earlier this week to the Gang of Eight uh, to offer myself for a, up for a personal briefing to the Gang of Eight. And in fact, we scheduled a briefing for the four House members of the Gang of Eight tomorrow. Uh, that's been on the books. So I am a bit surprised that Congressman Turner came out publicly today in advance of a meeting on the books for me to go sit with him alongside our intelligence and defense professionals tomorrow. That's his choice to do that. All I can tell you is that I'm focused on going to see him, sit with him, as well as the other House members of the Gang of Eight tomorrow. So he was surprised they jumped ahead of it to get it out there. It shows a distrust between the administration and the House, obviously. Uh, so I'm not sure it doesn't. How would you characterize the way this administration has handled Ukraine? How would you characterize uh, their support for the Israelis? Uh, I mean, they're clearly two different issues. I think they, they, they've done some things well, particularly on Israel early on and the kind of support Joe Biden showed for for Israel after that horrendous slaughter on October 7th. And he did it, uh, to his credit, fighting most of the base of the Democratic Party. But you can clearly see that resolve uh, significantly weakening in, in recent weeks where the president has decided uh, it suits his politics increasingly to pick a major fight with Prime Minister Netanyahu, when in fact, Prime Minister Netanyahu is not the problem when it comes to a, the Israeli determination to defeat and destroy 
Hamas. It is across the political spectrum in Israel from left to right. Everybody, there is a national consensus that unless they defeat Hamas, Israel at some basic existential level is going to be at risk, its well-being and survival. And I think for the United States not to support that determination four months after the worst massacre uh, since the Holocaust, the worst day in Israel's history for us to be telling the Israelis uh, within four months uh, that you've got to now consider taking creating a Palestinian state, uh, which will be uh, led by exactly the people who celebrated on October the 7th, those attacks, I think is, is madness. It's like if you told the American people, you've got to address the legitimate grievances behind bin Laden's attack on America on, on 9-11 and did that within a few months of, of the Twin Towers going down in a smoldering heap of rubble. Well, the thing is, he's lost the, about a third of his party is anti-Israeli. Yeah, no, the situation with the the question of Israel and the, the deep split between the two parties, Israel is no longer a bipartisan issue. The Democratic Party, unfortunately, uh, for years now, is slowly but surely since since President Obama's administration has been going off the rails on Israel. To imagine that you can now today see on college campuses people celebrating Houthi rebels firing on, on international shipping in the Red Sea, trying to, uh, to threaten and bring down the international economy, uh, that that's happening on American college campuses is just absolutely astounding and a deeply, deeply mm. troubling sign. And your thoughts about the Ukraine? And now Republicans are so upset about the execution of this war, the slow walking of weapons, the lack of training of pilots, uh, the refu- the red lines to become invisible lines like on HIMARS and Patriot missiles and, and now uh, cluster bombs. We see the way it's done. The president never communicates it. Your old boss, whatever you think of Dick Cheney, he'd go on Meet the Press with Tim Russell for 45 minutes or a whole hour and he'll explain exactly what he thinks. And then you can make your own decision. We don't have anybody explaining to us what this means. I think that's absolutely that that that's a huge criticism. I mean, besides the slow rolling of the wet of the critical weapons, which which really has been awful, this self deterrence of the greatest military power on earth, the United United States, because of, of Vladimir Putin saber rattling, is has been you know very uh, atrocious. Uh, but I'd say that failure by the president of the United States on an issue that he allegedly claims is absolutely vital to American national security, that Russia not achieve a victory in Ukraine, that the Ukrainians are able to win and beat back the Russians, for him not on a regular basis to be going out in front of the media, to be using the Oval Office, that bully pulpit, to convince the American people that he has a strategy for winning and that winning is in absolutely the, the vital interest of the, the, of the American people and the American homeland is, um, is just a deep, deep failing by the president, unfortunately. And we're watching now the border fall apart. Have you ever in your lifetime seen anything like this? No, it's it's extraordinary. I saw some footage of it the other other day, uh, Brian, and it is just I could feel my blood pressure going up dangerously high to see just streams and streams of people, not only from Central America now, but from all over the world, including some of our worst enemies. I mean, just uh, thousands of Chinese nationals racing across our border. I'm sure lots of them fleeing the tyranny of Xi Jinping. 
But uh, but who knows who else is in there amongst these people that are being let loose in the United States? It's absolutely enraging, and it's easy to see why the former president uh, on this issue is able to to rally so many Americans around him, this sense that we have absolutely right. lost control of the fundamental aspect of American sovereignty, who comes in and out of our borders. So, so John, you know that the President uh, Bush had a uh, had a immigration reform bill out there. I think there was one in the House, one in the Senate, but they wouldn't conference on it. And what do you think on first glance of what Senator Langford, Senator Cinema? And uh, Senator Murphy put together. Listen, I, I've been around Washington enough to, to know that the perfect is almost always the enemy of the good, that you're always taking half a loaf in these things. But uh, but that's often the way you, you, you make progress. So without knowing all the details, I would have liked to have seen a, a real bipartisan statement that we are going to start making serious progress on this. I think that would have been an important message to be able to send the American people. And and so I fear it, it, it's a lost opportunity and, and perhaps just another sign of the the dysfunction and the inability of people to really talk together and uh, and and make compromises that are that are for the, the general good of the country. It, 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 it deeply worries me and it, it worries me both domestically and on foreign affairs at a time when our enemies are increasingly uniting uh, uh, against us around the world. We're, we're in a very dangerous moment, Brian. Yeah. And, and lastly, when it comes to the economy, I keep getting differing for there are people that are responsible and talk about, wow, these numbers look great. And the Janet Yellen's of the world trying to sell us. And then I got people like Jamie Dimon and Fred Smith who say this cut 25. The chairman of the Federal Reserve said it Sunday evening a week ago. Uh, the head of our largest uh, uh, bank, I believe, J.P. Morgan, Jamie Dimon, has said it repeatedly. And hopefully I'm uh, adding to the chorus that's saying this is unsustainable. It's been because we've borrowed from our grandchildren and we're spending money today primarily to employ more people in government, health care, services, and other pursuits that are not being really driven by the fundamental engines of growth, which is national productivity and invention and innovation. Everybody hopes that artificial intelligence will be the new, new thing that will create a lot of wealth. But to date, over the last couple of years, we've simply been borrowing from our grandchildren and living beyond our means. And with the interest rates right now, uh, we are now spending over a trillion dollars on interest on our debt, more than defense budget. And guys like Fred Smith and Jamie Dimon and others not involved in the political process say we're in for a rude awakening, especially if BRICS gets us off the dollar, you know, as a rival for the dollar as a world currency. Yeah, no, listen, I'm not an economist, Brian. It's hard for me to opine uh, intelligently on these matters, other than knowing that the strength of our economy is the core of American national power and American national security. So we've got to have a strong economy. I know that we are uh, not paying sufficient attention to our military. Our military is smaller, um, less able, less effective, uh, 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 older equipment than at almost any point in time since the end of the Cold War. And yet we're spending uh, uh, like like bandits on 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 domestic programs that uh, that don't look like they have any end in, in in sight, and nobody with a plan to to get that spending under control. At some point in time, you've got to believe you'll you'll have to pay the piper, and uh, it 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 will will rue the day that we didn't take this more seriously. 
John Hanna, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Serious times. Thanks, Brian. All right. Um, meanwhile, we'll continue to follow this trial going on in Georgia. Uh, the president of the United States spoke a short while ago. He has his first date March 25th. That'll be in New York City. It'll be a circus. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I'm looking at the dates that their arrest started, which is probably close to when they got here. They've only been here a couple of months. So what the detectives are telling me is they have crews here that operate in New York, do all their stealing, then go to Florida to spend the money and then come back. And I'm like, well, why don't they just stay and steal in Florida? And they said, because there you go to jail. Oh, great point. Yeah, good point. John Miller, former ABC anchor, turned as deputy uh, uh, police commissioner in New York. Now he's a contributor on CNN. And he just brought up to a, a very stunned couple of anchors who want to know why they're just dealing in New York and not in Florida. He goes, because in Florida, you go to jail. Do we not understand how that works? If there's not a deterrent, there's got to be rampant crime. That's why they steal here and they sell there. When you still get, can get in trouble. I'm not saying Florida is crime free, but you know if you do a crime, number one, people are armed. Uh, number two, they have a stand your ground law. If someone breaks in your house, you can stand your ground, you can take them out in most cities, most states of, of Florida. And number two, that gives an understanding. The criminals, you're taking a risk. And, uh, and number three, you actually get punished. So in New York, you don't get punished. We're seeing that over and over again, unless you something becomes public, like that bodega, uh, that bodega worker who was uh, beat up and to defend himself and save his own life. He whipped out a gun and shot the guy. He went to Rikers until it got so much publicity they got walked out. Remember the illegal immigrants that committed the crime and beating up cops? We caught it on video, and they got, they got booked, and they got let out until it got publicity. Then they get a grand jury, and then they indict, and they only got one of the guys. But it's okay to beat a cop here, which is just absolutely insane. Um, so that's John Miller on the set of of CNN, who don't seem to know the city in which most of their employees work is not safe, and it could be safe quickly. But what's happening, too, you have 176,000 illegal immigrants. Over 100,000 are still here. And now we're finding out organized criminal, organized crime, gangsters, are coming into Brooklyn and the Bronx and doing their crimes in Manhattan, doing the moped runs where they rip bags, rip phones, rip necklaces, and if they get your personal items, they got a cyber team, believe it or not, a cyber team who find out all your personal information and quickly try to empty out your bank accounts. So that's what's coming across our border, and that's why that's an issue, and that's why Republicans should make sure. You didn't like the Langford bill, that's fine. But you got to do something on the border that's possible besides waiting for Trump to take office. And I think the Democrats are going to run on trying to fix the border and say Republicans aren't trying to do it. they got to come back and just say, Mark Kelly, what have you done since you got elected? What has the governor of Arizona done since they got elected? Yeah, take down the containers for their makeshift wall. That's what happened. What about the uh, president of the United States letting a wall rot rather than putting it up and giving his Border Patrol a break and finding some way to get them overtime and have Mayorkas just let go of all the rules on asylum. Brian Kilmeade.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.